This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige and engineering first. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train the way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. Congratulations, you've made the right choice. Your browsing has been rewarded. You've selected the right podcast. Welcome to the World's Best Construction Podcast by the B1M. I am Fred Mills, founder, face and voice of the B1M. And as always, I'm joined by the usual fantastic lineup and this week, a very special guest. So kicking us off, as always, we've got Liam Marsh, the B1M's Chief Revenue Officer. How you doing, mate? Good, mate. Good. Good to be here, as always. Um, my last uh, my last week in London, so I've just been finding myself um, just pigging out on all my favourite restaurants for the last sort of forty eight hours. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, also got Luke Bly, one of our content producers in charge of podcasting. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad, mate. Had a good weekend. I was at the Royal Albert Hall on the weekend, and it was I've never been before, and that is a stunning, stunning building beautiful yeah Yeah. it's one of those where you sit in pictures you're like oh that's pretty but in person wow unreal was this the return of the jedi to a live orchestra i mean i want i wasn't gonna say it yeah yeah (laughs) it was it was to the london symphony orchestra which is kind of a big deal it was great mate one one of the best nights ever so very very nice i understand you also went to the uh disney plus and or premiere which is pretty cool yeah, that was in London as well earlier on in the week. That was class, mate. That was really, really good. Just like up London a lot, you know, doing Star Warsy stuff, looking at buildings. I'm basically in my element, you know. <laughs> What's not to love, right? What's not indeed, to love? Indeed, indeed. Sounds good. Also this week, we've got a very special guest, one of the B1M's content producers, Christine Belden, the incredible talent behind today's video, which we're going to talk to you about, Two World Trade Center. How are you doing, Christine? Good. Happy to be here. Uh, I think this is my first podcast I've ever done, so we'll see how this goes. Excellent. You hadn't be told excited. me that before, but uh, that's, that's good to find that out live yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, so, uh... you're right. You're right. <laughs> I've, I've done <laughs> other know. voiceover work, but th- so this will be a little different, but I've, so I've done a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they all, they all say that in the interview. Oh, I've done other things related to this. Yeah, Related, please yeah. A... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're very pleased to have you here. Now, guys, we've got an absolute banger of an episode for you this week. You know the little sausages you get at a party on a little stick? One of those little sausages, a little banger, a little banger coming your way with this episode. We have got New York's Missing Skyscraper, the B1M's latest 30-minute long-form video, which dropped yesterday. Also in the news, the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art, which is everything you'd want it to be over in LA. Switzerland's Jacob Park Stadium upgrade, some of the finalists for Construction Story of the Year finally revealed, and funny comment of the week. Let's go. So, first up this week, we are looking at the B1M's latest 32-minute documentary, which dropped yesterday, called New York's Missing Skyscraper. Very excited to see this come out. It's got a very different production style to what we've normally done, and uh, to be honest, it was a bit of a punt and a bit of a gamble, but uh, I think it's come out quite well. The team have made me look good. Uh, And yeah, it's come together really nicely, and it's a really impactful way of telling what is a pretty incredible story. Now... As most people will probably know, New York's World Trade Center site sits in Lower Manhattan. It's, it was originally the Ground Zero site after 9-11. It's obviously historically been the World Trade Center site. Arguably, probably the most famous, most iconic regeneration project, certainly in US history, possibly in world history. Everyone knows what happened down there on 9-11, and they will almost certainly recognize the new One World Trade Center Tower that's now being constructed. It's the tallest building in New York. It's got a kind of diamond-shaped facade across it. Um, Easily, as I said, easily the tallest building in New York, 1,776 feet, the height of American independence. 
But what you might not know is there's actually a lot more to this site than just that skyscraper. So there's actually supposed to be a whole collection of skyscrapers rising around the memorial site. But that development is still unfinished some 21 years on from 9-11. So with this video, we set out to discover why that is, what's holding it back, and what we discovered was that money, politics, and design all play a pretty huge role in what gets built in this city. Is that is that a fair introduction, Christine? I think that's pretty fair. Um, it definitely was a way more complicated story than I originally set it out to be. Uh, it was a difficult story to tell, but it was like definitely like a interesting one to get into of like why the heck this building still isn't there. Yeah. Um, it, I remember I worked in New York for three years and around the World Trade Center site, it was about like a 20 minute walk from there and we would always go to lunch. And I remember seeing the the art mural like like all around the area. I'm like, oh, well, I don't know what this is. This is just art. It's New York. It's I'm sure there's there for a reason. But as it turned out, that's the foundation for the site, which is it's still not there. It was supposed to be there like years ago now. Um, so I found that pretty incredible that I don't think I learned that until years later. Yeah, absolutely. I think I remember when we first kind of pitched this idea and had this discussion as a team, we said, you know, there's supposed to be two World Trade Center. What's what's happened to that? There's been a few renders about what they're building, but they can't seem to can't seem to get this thing going. Let's go and find the reason and try and find out what's been holding it back. And what we uncovered was this very long kind of multi-decade saga behind this building. And it's probably worth taking people through the timeline. Obviously, we do this in the video, but the timeline of what's been going on with this building is pretty, pretty incredible. So a bit more context for you. The Ground Zero site, which is obviously the site on, on which the 9-11 attacks happened, on which the towers came down on, that was kind of reimagined by a whole group of people. So the idea with that site was to create a, a memorial park with two reflecting pools and the 9-11 Memorial Museum underneath. That is there. That's been constructed now. And a number of skyscrapers around the site kind of bowing into the memorial park. But 21 years on, only some of those new towers actually exist. Most notable, as I said, is One World Trade Center, which was completed in 2014. Tallest building in the US, tallest building in the Western Hemisphere, I believe, as well. There's also Four World Trade Center, which was finished in 2013. Three World Trade Center in 2018. But Two World Trade Center is a massive new office tower that's supposed to be next to One World Trade Center, and it's just not there. Also missing is Five World Trade Center, a new mixed-use, mostly residential tower on the south side of the site. Now, this saga all began kind of way back in 2001. So the current development site for Two World Trade Center is leased to a guy called Larry Silverstein. Now, Larry Silverstein had taken out a lease on the original Twin Towers, believe it or not, in July 2001, in the summer of 2001, literally weeks before the 9-11 attacks. He also took out a $3.5 billion insurance policy on those buildings. Now, in the wake of 9-11, which as I said occurred just a few weeks after he leased these towers, he argued quite unbelievably that 9-11 occurred as two separate events and that therefore his insurance policy should pay out twice, pay out double. So Silverstein in late 2001, early 2002 sought $7.1 billion from his insurance company, but in the end was awarded $4.6 billion, kind of like a bit of a halfway house really. Still a decent amount of money, uh, certainly wouldn't mind that down the back of your sofa, but <laughs> yeah, decent decent chunk of cash. The city of New York then held a contest to design the master plan, so Studio Liebskind was selected from that. There were over 2,000 entries, but Studio Liebskind was selected and architects were then invited to design towers within that master plan. That's where a lot of these towers came from. So you obviously had the memorial park, you had the reflecting pools, but the towers got built around the edges were One World Trade Center, largely funded by the federal government. That building cost $4 billion US dollars to build, one of the most expensive skyscrapers ever constructed. Absolutely astonishing, astonishing cost for a building. Uh, but Two World Trade Center needed to secure an anchor tenant before construction could begin. So whereas One World Trade Center was given federal funding, it was kind of backed by the government because it was the the iconic, the Freedom Tower, the building that they needed to rise from the site and sort of show that New York was back. 
was funded by the federal government, but Two World Trade Center had to go down the commercial route. Now, as we say in the video, a way to minimize the risk and to make sure that you are actually going to get someone to lease this building and pay you back once you've spent several billion dollars building it is, as I said, to get an anchor tenant signed up. The trouble is it's taken them a very long time to get anyone interested in being the anchor tenant for office space in that area. And that's not been helped by things lately around the pandemic, working from home, changing dynamics around where people want to work, all that kind of stuff. So way back in 2005, there was a design put forward by Foster and Partners for a 387 metre tower. Construction work on that began and was due to complete by 2011, but that proceeded on Liberty Bonds, not an anchor tenant. So they just kind of got that going off the Liberty Bonds that were available at the time. Then rumours began to swirl, they couldn't find an anchor tenant and no one was interested, and the whole project stopped construction in 2012. Am I, got, am I getting this right up to this point, Christine? So far, yeah, I was going to say, I think One World Trade Center was largely funded by the government. I think Silverstein's like money sort of went toward his, towards it as well that he got from insurance. Um, so it was a combination of things, but like One World Trade was like one of the largely funded ones by the government. And then the other ones, kind of a combination of things as well. Um, mainly finding anchor tenants. They were able to find them easily, but then Two World Trade Center has been a, a mixed bag of uh, trying to find money. And they're like the, I think the only one that's solely relying on a commercial tenant rather than the other ones are able to find a combination of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it started off with this Foster and Partners building, 2005. They started digging, they started building it. They were shooting for 2011 completion then they couldn't find an anchor. The whole thing stopped in 2012. Then they changed architects and went to Bjark Ingels, who you might you might have heard of a couple of times on the B1M. A little pretty, bit of familiar. Yeah, pretty iconic architect. He's doing some big stuff right now. Uh, he and his team put forward a 408-meter tower focused on enticing media firms rather than finance firms. So there was all kinds of fancy things in that office, you know, the, the kind of usual stuff you get in a tech campus, plywood walls, expensive coffee, plants <laughs> here and there, breakout yeah. spaces, ball pits, you know. Sounds like our like. office. Ball pits, yes. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Does sound like our office. And then we wake up. <laughs> it's just a dream. Uh, Fox and News Corp signed on to that idea. They became anchor tenants. Then they started trying to build this tower and realized that adapting the foundations from the original tower that had been started a few years earlier was pretty difficult. That caused, or that was one of the factors that caused, the whole deal to then fall through in 2016. And two World Trade Center went back to being parked, nothing happening. Then, in early 2020, Silverstein went back to Foster & Partners. So they went away from B.R. Kingles and back to Foster & Partners to get a fresh design with the idea being they wanted to have another go at Two World Trade Center, have another go at enticing anchor tenants, getting finance, getting backing on board. Then some renders of that leaked in 2022. So there's some pretty interesting stuff that's come out about that, what, what it looks like. It's worth saying, I think probably between Silverstein announcing they were going back to Foster into 2020 and the renders that have come out, there's obviously been the pandemic, so that's delayed things further. Yeah, it's been a bit of a saga, basically. They've been through three different design iterations. The building still doesn't exist 21 years on from 9-11. It mostly comes down to the fact that they can't get the right people or tenants to back its construction. And I think what was pretty interesting is that when Christine and the team did some digging on this, pretty much no one we talked to wanted to talk about Two World Trade Center. Is that is that fair, Christine? Yeah, um, I was really surprised about that, actually, because I had done a previous project on the World Trade Center and worked pretty closely with Silverstein, and I was super excited to potentially work with them again. And I just hit a bit of a brick wall when going up against it. Like, I reached out. I think I had a brief conversation with Silverstein, one of the spokespeople, and um, they were really happy to talk about like five world trade center or any other type of, or the other buildings. But with two world trade center, I didn't get much of a response and I had followed up after that to try and do an interview or another comment and just received nothing, which I was a bit like, I've, I had worked so well with them before that I was like, Oh, like I want to learn more about this. I think it's a great story, but I guess it's such like a, maybe a sensitive topic that they were just 
not wanting to make comment on it. Like if that's, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, you're saying people's mm. people's demeanors changed when you brought Two World Trade Center up. Yeah, like I mm. felt a bit uncomfortable on like the one call that I had with them because um, I had such a warm welcome from them before that I was like, oh, okay, well, this would be a great conversation. And I was like, I was, I felt bad after that phone call almost. <laughs> um, but it, it, I think it's just because like, the only thing they've commented to the media so far is just like, it's going to happen. We're a hundred percent. We're confident, but it's like, it's been 10 years. Like it, how yeah. confident can you be after 10 years? Like when it was supposed to be built back then and it's still not up now. Fred, it seems like you're in New York every other week, mate. Um, <laughs> when you go down to the world trade center or that part of Manhattan, does it ever feel incomplete? You know, because World Trade Center is more than just like one or two towers, right? It's this, it's effectively this area, as you guys uh, show us in the video. When you're walking around, does it does it really feel like, ha, huh, there could be another few skyscrapers here, or there should be a few more skyscrapers here? I think it's a very well-executed part of the city, I have to say. So when I went in 2007, my first ever visit to New York was in 2007, the Ground Zero site was still very much a building site. There was a lot of work going on. One World Trade Center wasn't there. Uh, the site wasn't open. There was a lot of hoarding up, but you could look into what was a a big hole. I remember I remember being really struck by the damage to the buildings that you could still see. You know, there was still cracked glass. There was still brickwork that was spotted and cracked on buildings around it, and the whole place just had this this kind of eerie hollowness to it. And obviously, you everyone's very familiar with the events of nine eleven. But when you actually go there for the first time, and it still felt so raw, then I was really taken aback by how how physically obvious the event was when you were there. I went again. Yeah. Uh, I didn't go to New York for a very long time after that. So, just contrary to popular opinion and the impression that you may have, didn't go again <laughs> until. 2021 and i remember when it walked down to the world trade center site i was really excited to go and see it in person in 2021 see what it was like uh, and again when you get there it is striking luke because there's this square now where you don't get that in new york they don't build parks in new york you know every square inch right. is built upon and develops and covers but that's something this park opens up and there is trees there's landscaping and when you go to those two footprints those two holes where they put the two waterfalls now What's really clever is they've obviously got this rushing water sound, and that drowns out all other noise. You know that background noise of New York, that constant buzz, the sirens, the people, the taxis, all the rest of it. That all gets drowned out, and you're forced to just have this kind of still moment where you think and reflect. It's so powerful. It's so well done. So yeah. I think them them leaning into the space and the gap there has been really really good. What you don't notice so much is the missing skyscrapers, I think, because there's so much development going on there. There's always a hoarding up. There's always a crane up. It's like, oh, yeah, you feel this is going somewhere. But the interesting thing with Two World Trade is that they've made it look like a market, and it's kind of, it's sort of like it's supposed to be there. It's supposed to be an entranceway. But actually, if you look really closely, you can see that some of the columns and some of the blocks there are the uprights of the steel that's supposed to be supporting a skyscraper above. It's pretty shocking stuff. Yeah, I think they made them do that art to kind of cover up the construction site because it was a bit unsightly for so long, I think, that they're like, let's make this look a little better down here. And so now you like, I'm sure, but I don't remember what it looked like before. I don't remember like when they actually built the um, the art there, but I'm sure it wasn't as like nice looking as it is now. Um, I'm just keen to get everyone's thoughts on the actual design of um, of the skyscraper. Bia uh, sorry, um, Foster's original design, and then compared to Bjark Ingels, because I myself am a I prefer Bjark's design. Really, the stacked See, sort of boxes. I was going to say I think I prefer the first Foster and Partners. It's like a little bit more simple, sleek. The diamond top kind of fits into the area. Like the stack boxes are very Bjark Ingels. I feel like. And almost like just like different than the other ones, like it's sitting next yeah. to. Like it's a cool design, but I don't know if it like from what it looks like. I don't know like how I felt about like it, how it fit into the area. Oh, they don't scream New York to me. The Bjark, the Bjark design just doesn't look New York. 
It yeah. looks like it's spitting in the face of what New York architecture is, and in such a and I don't I, you know, I don't mean to make a joke out of it, but in such a sensitive part of the city, I feel like come on, you know, there needs to be a little bit. It needs to be a bit more demure, you know. It's, it's like he was during a flat move, and he sat back on his chair, looked across the room, and saw some boxes stacked yeah. up, and thought, "Oh, there you go. I'll yeah, do that's that. it." That'll do. I, that's That'll my do. least favourite of the three as well. I, it looks like, again, yeah, like exactly. it's a sensitive site. Why would you create a skyscraper that looks like it could be pushed over? Like, that's just not, not the point <laughs> at all. Um, I agree with Christine, actually. I think the first one, the first one's best. That that diamond-shaped roof fits with the site. It does the whole bowing into the memorial site. It's most dramatic. It's most striking. The new Foster one, which isn't official, leaked, um, I guess is a bit more 2022. It's a bit more kind of you know, fits with the current look and feel. We've got trees on buildings, of course, guys. We've got trees on <laughs> skyscrapers. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. It's like the spiral 2.0. Like oh. the, all the trees on the building. I think I guess that's the new thing to do is make a green building. Oh, I'm pleased you bring that up, uh, Christine, because when I went oh, really? to New York recently in, uh, what was it, start of September, the spiral's looking a lot more green. It's had it's had, a, it? it's had a rough ride on this podcast <laughs> and elsewhere across the BNN. <laughs> but you go down there now, and the bits that are green. I mean, let's let's be fair. Not much of it's green, but the bits that are supposed to be green and planted do actually look quite lush now. I don't know if they've reacted to it. I don't know if they've gone. My goodness me! Have you heard the podcast? Mm. Get some plants up yeah. there now. It's Solely exactly because happened. of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So with with the area, and obviously being how sensitive it is, I feel like only outstanding architecture should be there, right? And I know you guys did the video on like kind of the world's biggest compromise with the World Trade Center, one World Trade Center. Now I'm actually I'm I actually quite like that building, and I think it works. I think it looks New York. It looks so New York. All these other designs. I, I think someone hinted at it earlier. It's very 2020 or 2022. Like, yeah, it could be anywhere. And we, we, we seem to be having this conversation more and more, you know, that we look at these like mega projects as like, yeah, that could be. If you were like, oh, yeah, this is a new design for somewhere in Shanghai, you know, a tower in Shanghai, if this is a new design for somewhere in like Canary Wharf, I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, that looks about right. Yeah, and I think for the, for the World Trade Center, although you've got your crown, you know, One World Trade Center is obviously, you know, you know the the centerpiece. You, I, I feel like you can't just have a stacked boxes tower or a compromise, like one where they've gone, yeah, do you know what? We, we, we'll kind of take the stacked boxes look and we'll make it a bit more slick. Again, you're like, no. And they look really tall, don't they? They look really, really tall, these the, the Two World Trade Center. And it looks, again, I could be wrong, is it? Is it as how tall is it meant to be? Two it's World Trade. Just it's just below One World Trade Center. So the roof line of One World Trade That's Center massive. is four seventeen. The tallest one pitched was Bjark Ingalls, which came to four oh eight for Two World Trade. So it is deliberately smaller than One World Trade. But yeah, it's a big building. Yeah, see, I think that's I think that's ridiculous. You're going to be blocking out One World Trade Center from view from certain parts of like. Let me try and figure out where it is. Like I don't know, like Brooklyn or Queens or something. You, you, it'll just completely compromise that view. And I think the almost like the sovereignty of One World Trade Center, which has quickly become. And I, on the video, you reiterated that it that it opened in 2014. I thought it was way older than that, in a good way. Like yeah, it's, it's, it just feels like it's part of New York, right? And, it's become synonymous very quickly. I think. I think partly by virtue of being such a tall building and on the site it's on. But yeah, it's become iconic very of quickly. Course. I think yeah. what you're saying, Luke, goes to the heart of the challenge of building on this site because it is. It's so revered. It's so precious in American history, rightly so. It's so emotive that getting agreement on pretty much anything you want to design and put up here is next to impossible. Right. One World Trade Center took a very long time to get through. We obviously in our video we did about the world's greatest compromise. That building took a very long time to get agreed and sorted. And the design now is a bit of a compromise. You know, some people wanted an elegant building, some people wanted a robust building, some people wanted office space, some people wanted a memorial. Trying to bring all those things together and create somewhere that everyone's happy with is is kind of where you ended up with with One World Trade Center. 
a lot of people say they should have built one world trade center twice and recreate the twin towers looking like that that's not really the point one world trade center and its diamond shape is supposed to be two towers intertwined in one if that comes across but that that shape is supposed to be the two towers are kind of pushed together in in one you can tell yeah you can tell yeah yeah i think it works but this two world trade center talk mate it's getting me i feel like defensive of a place that like isn't even mine do you know what i mean i'm not american i'm not a new yorker I, i i don't live in manhattan and yet i feel a certain type of way about this and i think it's inevitable because of the events of of 9-11 we've all got kind of memories of that or if not you've seen it you know you've read up on it and um i can't help but think like you know when you're talking about and it is important to talk about like the business side of things and um i think that's what this project is it is kind of that phoenix rising from the ashes you know it is it is literally that and we're like that's the american spirit we're not going to stop here nothing's going to stop us we're going to build again we're going to do it again um but man, I, I can't help but feel some of these designs and the way they talk. It almost feels disrespectful to the whole right. concept of they're the world trying, trade. They're trying to do. A f- they're trying to do a few different things here. So you've got the the desire to create a design that fits with the World Trade Center, that fits in the New York skyline, that complements One World Trade Center, but also entices tenants and businesses to come and work in it. And as we found out in the video and our research, trying to square all those things off, you know, trying to tick all those boxes, is next to impossible. Um, I mean, Christine, I know you you lived in New York for a while. Do people in New York know this building is supposed to be there but isn't? Has anyone even noticed? Like, If they did, no one really spoke about it. Like, I don't think I remember learning about this until I was working on a previous project about the World Trade Center, and they mentioned that, oh, yeah, that's supposed to be two World Trade Center. I was like, I mean, it could be known to, like, older New Yorkers. Like, as someone who, like, kind of was a transplant, I was not aware all I knew was One World Trade Center. Everyone knew One World Trade Center. But the fact that there was like supposed to be another one was not, I guess, maybe common knowledge would be a better way to say it. I'm sure some people knew, though. You're closer to this story than anyone on the B1M team. You've literally immersed yourself in this for, for a couple of months making this video. Do you think it will ever get built? I don't know. They are so... like. Every spokesperson is like, we're 100% confident. We're 100% confident. But like from my sources I spoke to, like they're basically like it comes down to money. It comes down to money. And they like didn't give like definitive yes or no's either. So I I can't say a yes or no either. Like it, I think it's going to take a, like especially with COVID, like the pandemic is really like driving people out of offices. And I think a lot of corporations don't want to admit that. Um, and I think that's going to be like, they already had a lot of roadblocks. And then that was like the ultimate roadblock in 2020 that really kind of pushed it over the edge. Yeah. I mean, it strikes me that at some point, a site in Manhattan that's cleared for the construction of a massive skyscraper is going to get a massive skyscraper on it. You know, it's at some point there will come an economic cycle. There will come a point in evolution where the market's right and someone puts up a big building there whether it's what any of these previous renders look like whether it's even called two world trade center i don't know but i think if you look at look back across any other block any other part of this city history will tell you that if you're allowed to build on it someone will (laughs) the classic field of dreams uh concept right there (laughs) do you feel like um and this kind of is a nice segue into, you know, will it ever be built, you know, and the kind of tenants side of things, right? Um, do you think that the design and kind of, kind of going back and forth with the design, do you think that's now put off any sort of potential tenants? Because a lot of them, I think even in the video you mentioned, maybe they've gone somewhere else. Maybe they've gone to Hudson Yards, right? Which is now you know, that's kind of cracked on with the construction. You, you you know, that's kind of popped up overnight, feels like. Do you think, th- like, companies, big businesses, what, in whatever industry they're in, they're reluctant to be interested in any kind of project like this because of the complication with the design at all? To a point, yeah. I think it's a bit chicken and egg in a way. I think markets always move things always shift and there will always be a company or somebody interested in 
at a moment in time in office space in that area. I think that will always be the case, particularly in New York, particularly in the financial district. Remember, this is the financial heart of like the world's world city. You know what I mean? It's like the the center of the world in a way. People have called it that in the past. Um, so I think, yeah, I think at some point there will definitely be a demand for it. A lot of it is once these buildings start being built and start going up and start making their mark on the skyline, suddenly the appeal is there. Suddenly it's like, oh yeah, we're in that new building that's going up down at Two World Trade Center. It's the same with the Shard. No one really had heard about it before. Once it was actually going up and actually making an impact on the skyline, people suddenly were very interested, very intrigued. It became iconic. Same with One World Trade as well. So it's almost like they're going to have to build it so they come, but they can't build it until they come. So... I don't know how it ever gets off the ground in a way. I've got a question about the uh, the actual construction process because I always find it interesting when we cover a skyscraper, especially in New York, about how they actually build them in, in such a densely populated area and the different sort of construction techniques that they use. In the video, we said that New York, I'm not sure if we say it is the only city or one of the only cities that actually builds the steel frame of a skyscraper before they build the concrete core is that true fred yeah so it's not every building in new york but most of them in new york i think this this quirk is actually unique to new york worldwide they will do this kind of crazy thing basically where they will build the steel frame first as you say and then build the concrete core through the middle which doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at other construction projects we talk about this the conventional construction approach in the video you build the core first with a jump form system and then you build your steel and floors around it. It's much more simple to do that. In New York, steel frame first, core afterwards. And the idea, well, the, the purpose of that is because the steel workers and the steel workers unions basically want to have enough space to get on with their own work and not be interrupted and distracted by other trades. Goes right back to those iconic pictures we see of the guys sitting on the beam having their lunch. You know, that sort of black and white picture, very famous black and white picture. Um, it, it comes, it comes from that. The steel workers wanted to be up, out the way, getting on with their work, not interrupted by the stuff. It does make for a pretty complicated construction process. One Vanderbilt, we've done a video on that on the channel before. That skyscraper was one of those cases. So the the formwork system developed by Perry, Perry formwork system on that had to be uh, kind of re-engineered to basically be a jump form system with all the steelwork already built around it going up through other trades. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Okay, yeah, cool. If um, Say if um, they actually went ahead with the really good design, the boxes from Bjark Ingalls, would they do the steel framework first on that or would they do the core? It's a hypothetical question because, of course, they're never going to go ahead with that B.R. Kingles design. <laughs> well, to be honest, who knows? They might go back to B.R. Kingles in a minute and try a new thing. But yes, in theory, uh, whatever happens down at the World Trade Center, they'll be building the steel frame first and the concrete core second. Unless they put up a timber skyscraper, which I think would be very nice and sustainable and impressive for that site, probably not going to happen in New York. It's probably going to be concrete or steel. <laughs> yeah, fair. I, I still well, I still disagree with you guys on the on the on the design. Um and I can't believe you're actually opting for the diamond diamond shaped buildings. Oh mate. What it's don't you like clearly that? beautiful? I know it fits the skyline and things like that. I just like like a bit of change to the skyline. It's something a bit more unique. Um, which I think that the boxes gives. I get that. No, I see where you're coming from. I mean, this is the guy who likes the walkie-talkie, so we need to take hey, everything he says with a pinch wrong. of salt. Nothing wrong with the walkie-talkie, mate. I like video <laughs> walkie-talkie. Thick boys. We like walkie-talkie. <laughs> yeah. I was actually going to ask Christine, because every guest we've had on this podcast, we've asked them, what's your favourite building? What's your favourite skyscraper? I remember, you, I remember you guys asking that in, when I listened to the first podcast. I would say my favourite building was recently when I went to Florence was the Duomo. Like the architecture Ooh. on that was just, I could stare at it like all afternoon. Like I, yes. I think we did like a few, like I was there with my friend and we did like a few laps around it. I think I took a picture at every single possible angle that you could just because it's so, or like the the sharp lines on it, like the, the design of it, the whole thing was just like, I really loved it. Favorite skyscraper though. Um, did not think about this ahead of time. <laughs> um I, the shard is cool. Like I think it's like a different type of 
look. I don't know, like, I wouldn't say, like, maybe all-time favorite. That's just, like, one that I like off the top of my head that's different and not one of those typical, like, tops out, like, flat at the top. It's kind of got its own unique broken glass look. So I think it stands out. It's London. Um, I think it's it looks cool in that sense. God, that's a good answer. I'll take yeah. that. I'll take that all day I long. I was not expecting you to pick a UK skyscraper. You're just trying to do yourself to the, the Brits, aren't you? You're right. I'm just playing playing your <laughs> game here. <laughs> that's was the there, whole idea. Was, was there a skyscraper in New York that and I I want to open this up to everyone, but like is there a skyscraper in New York that you look at and you're like, oh, that is so that's so New York. Don't say Empire State Building, because it's boring. Chrysler Building is pretty cool. It's similar to the Empire State Building, but it's it's cool. Like I also feel like walking through New York, I never like I would walk by the Empire State Building and then not realize it until later. It's kind of like not obvious unless you're like looking at it from the skyline. That's true. Um, but like the the Chrysler Building, you can see from afar. I feel like more easily. Like I'll be like lo- walking down the street and like, oh, there's the Chrysler Building. Like you can see it lit up. Um, but Empire State is a little bit. You have to be a bit further out of the city to like actually see it. Mm. What Chrysler about you, Fred? Yeah, Chrysler Building's very beautiful. It's very quintessential New York. It's incredibly iconic. I actually did my uh, my A level design technology projects was based on that building. So I did uh, an Art Deco themed coffee table, and it was like kind of oval shapes, and the ends of it were in the shape of the Chrysler Building, and it had these like pull out extensions that were the shape of the Chrysler building roof they could you kind of pulled them out and it made the Chrysler building roof and then within the timber I'd set in these triangle aluminium shapes that made the Chrysler building form but were coasters for your cup of coffee and uh yeah got an A which I'm very proud of (laughs) a long time ago now I'll always have a soft spot for the Chrysler building because it's uh because it's linked to my DT A-level project but I think my favourite is 432 Park Avenue. And I know it's it's got no. leaks, it's cracked. There's a thing about billionaires storing the money. But for me, it's just so bold, so out there. It speaks to what engineers can do. It's unthinkable in its design and its construction and just raises the bar on every front to me. Fred, I'm disappointed, mate. I'm disappointed. That's the same guy as well. Raphael designed the walkie-talkie, isn't it? Yeah, but obviously this is this is not in the same league as the walkie-talkie. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. mate. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally just like a pencil, like sticking out near Central Park. It doesn't look like pencil. it should be standing. Exactly. It's bold. It's brash. It's unbelievable. But it's there. It's awe-inspiring. Oh. It's incredible. Oh no! What's yours, oh. Luke? Uh, I um. It's, I said this um, on the one of the first episodes as well. Chrysler Building, I have a massive soft spot for. I think it's beautiful. I think it's really feminine. I really like the Rockefeller Center, though, to go something different. And I like how it's this complex and you've got all of these different buildings and then leading into like the proper Rockefeller Center. Um, you know, and that's where like 30 Rock is from. That's where they film loads of stuff. I think that's pretty cool. And I think it's a really good kind of blueprint for something like the World Trade Center, right? You know, it's this site with all different buildings on it and you've got, and it's so ridiculously Art Deco when you're walking around it. Yeah. I don't think it's, when when you initially sit on photos, it's one of those where you're like, that looks a bit ugly. But when you're there in person, I don't know, it just has something about it and uh i hope when i return to new york one day which i hope to do soon like fred's pretty much put me in the mood to go back to new york um (laughs) i hope that i have a similar feeling with world trade center because i think the last thing you want is it to feel kind of like that it's that it's not cohesive and it's just been slapped together and it's there just to make money you know and it doesn't it doesn't sound like that's what it is at the moment but um, I think with just this one building, with two World Trade, Trade Center, you, it could be at risk of doing that. It could be at risk of doing that. Um, yeah. I thought, and I, we've got it in the notes here. Another interesting thing is something to do with the sunlight, Fred, with this. Which yeah. Is so the 911 yeah, site. Explain that. It's pretty incredible. It's been designed so that the, if, assuming the sun is shining on 911 each year, between 8.46 a.m., which I believe is when the first plane hit the first tower, and 10.28 a.m., which is when the second tower fell, 
sunlight will fall in a particular angle in a particular shape across the 9-11 memorial site exactly during that period of time illuminating it during the period of time the attacks were happening also the oculus roof light opens each year i believe i think it might be weather dependent but each year they'll open the oculus roof light and again between those times because of the way the building's been designed and orientated sunlight will fall and create a shaft of light falling across the oculus floor during the period of the attacks and the idea is that it's uh, light will always shine through the darkness over the decades, over the years, over time, which is very, very uh, kind of poignant and impactful. So, yeah, obviously it's worth saying that Seven World Trade Center was another building that collapsed. That collapsed later in the day on 9-11, about 5.21 p.m., not, not being too specific. Um, but, yeah, that was a, a third building that collapsed that day that people people don't really know much about or, or forget. It, it collapsed because of one of the other buildings that collapsed onto it. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I have to say, the nine eleven Memorial Museum. I did it when I went uh, last time in November twenty one. Is one of the most well done, well put together pieces of culture I've, I've ever seen and been to. It's absolutely outstanding. Wow. I the way they've and broadly speaking, the way they've done that whole site is fantastic. The way they've remembered it, it's paid homage. There's a balance between commercial space and remembrance and memorial spaces is really really well done but yeah the museum for me obviously you know you know about 9-11 you've seen it a thousand times you know the images you remember i certainly remember living through that day nothing prepares you for the museum it was like living through it again but through personal artifacts yeah they they had yeah people's personal artifacts laid out personal stories and it was that really it really brings the story to life more you're not just hearing the news events you're hearing what it was actually like for people and yeah i was i was in i didn't expect to but i was in tears the whole way around it was absolutely shocking but yeah very very good very good museum yeah lightening the mood liam what's your favorite new york skyscraper uh probably the chrysler building just due to it's such a it has such a dominant presence on the uh skyline of manhattan very nice, very nice. Mm. Next question. We all have like the most basic answers, all the same. Chrysler building, Chrysler building. <laughs> uh, excuse me, Rockefeller Center. Okay, well, uh, you said Chrysler on. building first, so. Come on, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, four, three, two is in there. <laughs> you guys definitely all said Chrysler at one point, too. You did a whole project on it, and you went on and on about that, so. <laughs> uh, come back every week, Christine. You're going to fast. Get yourself disinvited from this podcast. This thing. <laughs> See, Liam wants me back and Fred doesn't. So. <laughs> Next question. Who's your favorite YouTuber, Christine? Ooh, I feel like you know the answer to this, but Johnny Harris, 100%. <laughs> so cruel. Very brave thing to say to your boss. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, you, you don't like it when I say my favorite is Francis Bourgeois, even though he's not my favorite. But I tweeted about seeing him once, and Fred has been upset about it ever since. <laughs> I, just think, I just think, like, because no, that was when we were going for, like, some team drinks or something, and... She tweeted beforehand that she bumped into him. Like, well, you're, you're coming to meet someone who's got a bigger following, like, and have a drink with him. Surely that's better than meeting the rail guy. But no, apparently not. But yeah, I knew not. you. I knew you. Yeah. yeah. I just want to say, like, a big thanks to you, Christine, for keeping me so humbled. I think it's someone very, <laughs> someone very brave to have a YouTuber as a boss and not have that be their favorite YouTuber is, is pretty incredible. It keeps me very humbled, keeps me very grounded. So. Thank but Francis is the trains guy. So, yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's kind the of the one a that lot straps out. the GoPro to his head and just yeah. gets way too giddy about spotting a train. Yeah, I love it. I'm here for. It. Maybe we should do that with you, Fred. That's what I've said. We should strap a GoPro when Fred goes on a construction site and see what his reaction is. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm very up for that. And, and shout out to Francis because his his work is amazing. I have to say, I do Fred. like him too. It's a big So hot. <laughs> Oh, so hot. <laughs> I mean, Frankfurt, guys, it's so hot. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I remember Constant that. Complaint. I want to I say a big thanks, Christine, because she's worked very, very hard on this project. And I think we tried something very different with the production for this. We had a very long day filming out in, I think, Bethnal Green, Shoreditch area, Christine? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was myself, Christine, our director, Aaron, uh, who also shot it as well. 
We had our graphics guy, Vince. We had one of our other video editors, Kurt. It was a really good day, um, well organized by Victoria, who's another, another person you don't see or hear of behind the scenes, but who keeps us all on track. Huge undertaking, but I think it's come out looking really good. Do you agree? Yeah, and it was on the day of a train strike here in London, too, and we somehow all managed to get there before 9 a.m. But yeah, it was kind of like the idea, like we were searching for a space that kind of had a bit of a New York loft kind of feel, like we had those um, brick walls in the background, and that's what we were kind of aiming for, even though we're in London. Um, But that was like the goal when I was like searching for a studio space, and like that one stuck out to me, and we did a few different tours, and this one just like was the definite yes between all of them and I think it just like really makes it look like you're in your own space like you're kind of taking this journey of like what the heck is happening with the skyscraper you're looking it up on your own and I think it works out really well it was a fun day this is one of my favorite B1M videos I've seen especially the long form ones mate but I'm you know I'm partial to a skyscraper but you handled quite a sensitive topic really really well and asked the right questions you know so i thought this was superb as per usual yeah thanks we did uh it was it was a big day down there we had an overhead camera as well over that desk kind of facing down on the desk so i was rolling out sheets of paper and then we wrote some things out and then separately the graphics guys had overlaid graphic overlays onto that paper digitally afterwards it was it was yeah a lot of work has gone into this video i think you can see that from what you see on screen but yeah i just want to say massive shout out to the team because once again there's some amazing people behind the scenes who make me look good and keep me grounded as we've as we've established with christine you're welcome Um, you're welcome yeah thanks but yeah it's been a pretty pretty good production guys let us know what you think about this what do you think of the video we've made what do you think about the saga of two world trade center what's your favorite design will it ever get built send us your thoughts send us your comments podcast at the b1m.com Also in the news this week, we have got some fresh pictures of the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art, which is currently under construction at Exposition Park over in Los Angeles. Now, as you'd imagine, this uh, museum has got a bit of a Star Wars vibe. It kind of looks like one of the Rebel Fleet cruisers that's kind of landed on Exposition Park in LA. Bit of a saga with this. It was kind of pitched, I think, almost a decade ago now. It was going to be in Chicago, then San Francisco, and they finally agreed a site in LA, started building it. They paired it back a bit, I think, from what its original design was supposed to be. But anyway, construction is now underway. It's going to be a 28,000 square meter new museum dedicated to narrative art, with some very big sections dedicated to George Lucas, the visionary guy, of course, behind Star Wars. It looks awesome due to open in 2025 what do you guys think of this one i mean i've gotta i've gotta answer this first right like i'm a massive star wars fan um it goes without saying uh george <laughs> lucas is one of the most and arguably the most um important person in filmmaking history um what this guy hasn't done yeah i know look liam liam liam's already <laughs> doing a face at that why are you doing a face mate you disagree no i mean i want to hear what you've got to say before i say anything the, the most important person in filmmaking history yep hold on really yep yeah yeah go ask steven spielberg he'll say the same right he'll say he'll say the exact same like ilm he made a company called ilm right industrial light magic he made that because no one made graphics, no one did CGI, no one did effects. And so he went, okay, I'll make my own company, right? This got like, people have no idea how much this guy's contributed to, to film and cinema. And the fact that obviously he's retired now, he just does his own stuff and Lucasfilm got bought by Disney back in 2012. He's putting a big chunk of his own money and his sweet, sweet Disney shares into a museum. I think it's really cool. Um, the building is quite out there. It's quite out there. Um, I think it doesn't necessarily look Angelino, doesn't necessarily look like it belongs in Los Angeles, San Francisco or Chicago, but I suppose that's kind of meant to be the point is that it's internationalist. It's for anyone and everyone. Um, I can't wait to visit this. I can't wait to visit this. This is going to be really, really special. And it's nice to see a museum being built, like especially in the Western world. You don't really see that 
as much nowadays. You see expansions, right? Like I think the Tate expansion, the VNA have done a few bits in uh, there, and but a brand new museum, core. Yeah, this looks great, man. Maybe I'm biased. No, I think it looks great too, mate. I think it looks absolutely beautiful. It, it, it's something I would expect to see in Dubai, if I'm being completely honest, lo- looking yeah. at these renders, rather yeah, than Los Angeles or even in America. Does that, does that make sense? I agree. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing, to be honest. But I think if there's a place that could pull it off, I do think it's LA. Yeah. I, I, I'm not yeah. too fussed that they have it. I think just looking at it from a first glance, I'm like, oh, that's in Dubai. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it looks great. It sort of reminds me, um, have you guys seen the TWA Hotel in New York City by JFK Airport? Like, it was built in the 1960s as like the terminal, but like the underside curvature of this building, like sort of looks like that. Like the, it's like the, I know the TWA hotel is supposed to be made look like a plane landing. It's like the white curvature, like really wide and open space. Um, and the interior looks like that as well, but it really reminded me of that um, building. It's a sim- the top side doesn't look similar, but the bottom side does. Yeah, that's probably a good comparison because they're both, they both almost make you feel like flight. You know, Fred said at the beginning about the one of the ships, the cruisers in Star Wars. I reminded him of that. The fact that you're also talking about like planes and stuff. I think it's meant to be like a journey, you know, out of space and you're going to go into a different sort of world. And that's what storytelling is, isn't it? And that's effectively what this museum's for. So I like that. Absolutely. I think it speaks to what it is really, really well. I think it's an art museum, so it has to be out there impressive. You know, you're up there with like the Guggenheim in New York, you know, other famous museums around the world. I think this is awesome. If it looks half as good on the inside as it does outside, I can't wait to visit as well. There's going to be Star Wars stuff. 100% I'm in. This sounds amazing. Can we go now? No. Got to wait till 2025 when it opens. But yeah, it's going to be a good one. Also this week, heading over to Switzerland, the St. Jacob Park Stadium, which is the home of FC Basel, as you will all know, is getting a dramatic makeover. So 21 years on from its last facelift, its kind of original design by Herzog and Demiron, same architects are coming back and giving the stadium a big old facelift. So there are new access routes, there's new security infrastructure that's going to basically enable the stadium to be used for events as well as football. Uh, But the most impressive thing is this new sweeping roof that's kind of been designed to unite the whole structure and make it feel like one. It's got photovoltaics built into it, which are going to help generate energy for the ground. It looks beautiful. It looks gorgeous, as Luke Bly would say. Um, Some very impressive renders of it come through. It's kind of got this red and blue vibe, which goes with the FC Basel colours. Personally, I, I I think the renders look a little bit basic, but I do really like where they're going with this. Do you guys agree with me? I'm not too excited looking at it. I'm just kind of like, I'm a bit meh by it. Is the, um, there's a train station behind it, uh, the train tracks. Is the trains, do the trains actually stop at the stadium? Do you know if there's like a little station so you just get out at the train station and boom, you're basically in the, st- in the, in the stadium? Oh, it I does look like I, that, doesn't I, it? I would imagine there must be a stadium near, a station nearby for a stadium that big, yes. Because that'd be really yeah, It definitely handy. looks like that. Yeah, yeah it'd be handy, like right? Platform. Just get yeah. off straight straight away. Don't go through the ticket wow. gate, you're there. Wow. I think this is so ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so ugly. It looks like it looks like it was designed in the late 80s, completed in the early 90s. Literally, <laughs> the color palette, everything about it, mate. It looks dated. It looks aged. And let's not forget, mate, that when was the last revamp? In 20 years ago? It's yeah. not long ago. It's not long, is it? Like Wembley was completed almost 20 years ago. We're not going, oh, yeah, let's redo Wembley Stadium, are we? No, because it's timeless. It's a good design. The fact that they're already having to go back and Fred's like wondering, oh, Luke's, <laughs> Luke's kind of on No, no, not at all, today. not at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think it's really bad, mate. I think it's almost embarrassing that they're having to go back and redo it <laughs> 20 years later. It's not good, is it? It's not great. 
yeah, it's kind of basic looking. Um, but as someone who has no, um, what they say, football over here, um, knowledge, I don't know how much I could say about it. I'm used to the American football stadiums, which are, I, how many does this even hold? Like it's, um, oh, 35,000. Okay. So I, I, I'm used to bigger ones too. Like in, in the US, the university I went to had 90,000. So this is a lot like I'm, I'm wondering what it will look like when you actually walk up to it in person. Like if it will, like the renderings will not do it justice or do it justice. But yeah, it's pretty, uh, especially compared to the other one that we're looking at today in the news, the very, the curvature. And then this one's like all the sharp angles, but it's not doing much for me. No, and they've got kind of just the, social housing looking block just plonked on the side of it as well and they're like yeah let's incorporate some of the blue roof in that but not quite you know connect it oh it's so it's terrible it's this might be the worst thing we've talked about on this podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> is that am i being too harsh i, I just don't go. see many ridiculous features how much is this going to cost just buy <laughs> Buy some better players instead, you know what I mean? Like, oh, terrible. There you go, Herzog and Demiron. We've absolutely trounced your new stadium design on the World's Best Construction Podcast. You are welcome. I quite hey, they like made it. one of my favourite. They made one of my favourite buildings in London. They know, which eight. is the Park Drive one. Yeah, one Park Drive in Canary Wharf. Cylindrical shaped. One of my favourites too, Luke. They're yeah, very good so. architects. They know what they're doing. I personally love yeah. them. Please don't take this personally, guys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, your project's on the World's Best Construction Podcast. Not getting any thumbs up over here. It's been, uh, I think, pretty unanimously from the other three, anyway. Unanimously stamped out. Thanks for your feedback, guys. Also <laughs> this week, we released the finalists for Construction Story of the Year back on Tuesday. We've been through... Some fantastic judging rounds with our amazing group of expert judges. We got down to a long list, which was published earlier in September. And then this week, we finally revealed the, the shortlist, the three finalists. We've put out three videos, three little little social videos on each of them explaining what they are. The idea now is we want to get your feedback, guys. So we want to know what you think. Let us know in comments, likes, feedback, engagement, shares. We're going to keep our eyes on all of that. And bear all that in mind when we have our final judges meeting later in October and then reveal the winner on the 2nd of November this year. The three finalists are uh, ITER, the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor in the south of France, an amazing project down there. Obviously, we've covered it before on B1M, but with this entry, we were really impressed by the fact that you know, in the world we live in right now, there's, there's a lot of bad stuff happening. But to see 35 nations coming together collaborating using digital tools to work on something together that could change the world was was really compelling there's also a terrace house in melbourne designed by austin maynard architects which completely upends the approach to housing it's designed with uh, low energy in mind low cost and affordability in mind and communities coming together in mind some really interesting design principles there i think you know again turn on the news right now you're going to see stuff about climate change affordable housing and societies being divided this in one project tries to address and cover all of that off it's really inspiring stuff really incredible and last but not least the team up at manchester university and what they're doing with graphene and the innovation up there the fact that material is now being applied to uh, real world projects is absolutely incredible so that's again one of our finalist stories so you've got ita graphene terrace house in melbourne they're all up now on our channels let us know what you think give us your feedback what do, you, what do you guys make of the, the three finalists? Are you pleased with who's come through? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, I'm a big fan of... Uh, am, I, am I allowed to say my favorite? Yeah, I cool. Anyway, big fan of ITER. Um, we, we've, uh, I've learned a lot about that project in the last sort of six months um, and what they're doing over there, just especially collaborating with, what, like 30 different nations or 40 different nations or something like that. 35. Um, you're, you're 35. Almost around, around oh, yeah. oh, there we go. <laughs> close, close. Um, yeah, I just think it's absolutely amazing what they're doing there. Um, it's, it's an incredible um, feat of engineering as well. So um, very much looking forward to seeing who who takes out the, the title. Absolutely. So I, as a judge, I'm not going to pass any comment whatsoever. I'm going to stay neutral. But uh, yeah, when it will be announced, 2nd of November, let us know what you think, guys. 
Now we are coming over to the best bit of the show, Christine. Well, in theory, let us know what you think about it. Probably, oh probably one of the best bits of the show. Funny comment of the week. Liam Marsh, what you got for us? Um, so it's getting harder and harder to find funny comments because our content's so good. I'll, I'll set this scrolling. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. I set this scrolling. I think I scrolled through 2,000 comments from last week's video on Frankfurt. Um, everyone's just praising how much they love the video. Um, so it's quite hard. I did find one though that I, that I had a little chuckle at. Um, this is from Dan Sullivan. Dan said, thanks for another amazing, thanks for another amazing vid, Fred. Top tier content as always. You're going to need to start tagging these videos as weaponry. That gun show. (laughs) Soon though. (laughs) (laughs) It always comes back to my arms, doesn't it? Oh, it's ridiculous. Anything else? We just need you on camera more. I think that's that will drive more comments. Apparently, like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that ninety nine percent of comments are oh my god I love this content it's amazing which is great. Um, but yeah, please please feel free to upload some funny comments every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Go out your way to do them, please. So there we go. What you don't see in that Frankfurt video is the fact it was 38 degrees. Here I am again, complaining oh about the temperature God. on a film shoot, but I, my goodness me, that was a hot day. I don't think it helps Doesn't... that you wear like skin-tight jeans, mate. They started out as loose <laughs> jeans. They started out as loose jeans, mate. As the day went on, they got hotter and shrunk. <laughs> call, them, call them jeggings, mate. The appropriate term. <laughs> oh, I, I used to wear those. <laughs> <laughs> So, as always, guys, let us know what you think about New York's missing skyscraper, the saga of Two World Trade Center. Give us your feedback on the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art. Have the team got it wrong on Switzerland's Jacob Park Stadium? It's been pretty trashed here. Let us know what you think. What do you think of it? Would you Do you like it? Are you looking forward to it being built? Send us your emails. Send us your feedback. I want to say a massive thanks to Christine for being part of this episode. It's been great to have you here. Do you feel like you've survived, Christine? Uh, if that's the word we want to use here (laughs) we can use that one (laughs) it's been great to have you it's been great to have you as always guys send us your comments podcast at the b1m.com and we will catch up with you again next week 